Okay. Recording's going on your end, Rebison. Is this on already? Do I push it? Should I push it? Push it. Yes. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. Uh, good afternoon. So uh, this week's parsha is Parshas Amor. A lot about the instructions to Kohanim. Before we begin the um, limudim, things to learn from the parsha. Let's continue on a little bit with Rav Tzadik's uh, midos v'hadrachos. His midos um, is. The, the lessons that he left for a person's midas and v'hadracha, a way to guide us in life. So we're up to, I believe, Yud Aleph. Okay, we're up to number 11, and we're almost done. There's a total of 13, but this is even before we start the Sefer. These are the little uh, notes that he left behind for, for life. So here we go, fascinating. A person wants to enjoy, enjoy. Yeah, you want to have pleasure, have pleasure. Hashem wants us to have pleasure. Ubitnai on condition As long as your pleasure is a holy pleasure. How is it a holy pleasure? So it's a way it, it's note the way he words this. As long as your hana is within Kedusha. Kemosha Hana Elisha, like Elisha, Shvahya Batuachal Atzmola Malos Mishalosov Litova, and a person should also be confident, rely on himself, lemalos mishalosov letova, that anything that he asks should be fulfilled, letova for good. Vedavka minayachid, only from, and this is specifically when we're asking it from a yachid. If you ask a favor from somebody, this is very, very chashuf, it's a very important idea. If you ask for a favor from somebody, make sure to follow through that it actually was a favor. Don't say, once you receive the favor on my end, okay, so now I've received it, and I'll do with it what I want. Says Rav Tzadik, such a beautiful midah, a beautiful midah. If you're going to receive benefit from somebody for a particular expectation, make sure on my end I follow through on that, what the expectation was. However, he says, a person should try as much as possible to refrain from coming onto public funds. So there's two very important midos when I need to be at the receiving end. Number one is ideally keep it between individuals. It's more, he says, midos wise, it's more, it's, it's more proper because if I'm receiving it from an individual, there is a greater direct line of understanding between the two of us. And therefore, it's incumbent upon the two of us, both the one who's on the giving end and the receiving end, to just understand what the expectations are. However, if we're going to come onto public funds, you're like playing with fire. Playing with fire, because when people donate money to tzedakah, now all of a sudden you're dealing with public money, and you should be a lot more hesitant because of the ramifications of what that responsibility holds. Like if somebody wants a big job, you want a bigger say, you better make sure you're careful with that responsibility. So when you deal with individuals, it's clearer and there's less, there's less to be nervous about for himself, if Tzadik is saying. You're dealing with the public, ooh, you're like playing with fire. Something that, that, uh, that, that um, if a person's in a need like that, 
be, be very delicate. And you know something he says, let's say a person says, I don't want to benefit from anybody else. I don't want to benefit. Okay? You shouldn't be like, oh, you know I don't take favors? Because I don't like taking favors. People say, I don't like taking favors. That's not a reason not to take a favor. It's not a reason. Sometimes Hashem wants us to take favors from others. As Yidin, as Jews, we're supposed to be able to be there for each other, to do for each other. Good afternoon, Rebetzin. Come on, come on in. We're waiting for you. We're just about to start. Okay. Rak, al um, Rather, if you're not going to take, it should be more because of my spirituality. It should have more to do with my relationship with Hashem than my own pride. It shouldn't, shouldn't be an element, sometimes out of pride, which connects a little bit to arrogance. We don't want to allow people to do things for us. Rav Tzadik is saying, let, as, as Yidin, we're supposed to do for each other. No, it's a beautiful idea. It's a fascinating idea. I saw a Shaila. I, I, I forgot where I saw this from. You know, the Gemara says that anybody who has means, whether it's financial means, whether it's a talent, whether it's anything else, so we have to be um, grateful to those who don't have those talents or those means. We have to be grateful to them. Why? Because otherwise we'd have nobody to share it with. So if, let's say there'd be nobody in the world to do tzedakah with. You know what a, you know, no, but he can't give to others. It's so difficult. Terrible thing, right? It's a, so the Gemara says, when people have means, have talents, have energy, right, should be grateful to those who don't have it, so now we have the ability to give. So the question was, what, what happened to 40 years in the desert? 40 years in the desert, everything was taken care of for everybody. Everything. You couldn't, everybody had the mun. Some people fell closer, some people fell further. Okay, Everybody had mun. The Medrash tells us that we walked on clouds. Our clothes never got dirty and schwitzy. Our shoes, our the children's clothing grew with them. Everything was always perfect and pressed, first class. So how were they able to give to each other? So I forgot where I saw this. I saw this a uh, um, number of years ago. That the way that people with means were able to help out those without means was by training them how to enjoy life. We had come out of Mitzrayim. And in the last year of Egypt, people had started collecting. All of a sudden, every, every Jew now had means. But, pe- but we were coming out of slavery. Some people had no clue what to do with money. They had no idea. So for example, the mun could taste like anything you want. Anything you want. Okay? So a person who's coming from a place without means is going to be like, wow, this is amazing. Hashem, 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 please allow my mun to take, taste like potato chips. Ah, I always dreamed of having potato chips, right? The guy, uh, you know, the guy next to him or his, his friend's mom, you know, gives him a little nudge and she's like, potato chips, caviar. You know what I mean? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? I can't even spell that. Right? So that's how they would take care of each other by training each other into freedom. Yeah. Don't think small. Think big. And even, because even when people have, like, you could be a poor person with money. You have to know, like, why does Hashem give them money? And, and that, that's a big message from Pirkei Ovis as well, where the, the, you know, the mission is teaching us that Ezehu Ashir Asameach Bechelgo, who's happy, somebody who's wealthy with his chilek. Interestingly, the commentators explain a novel idea 
Bechelko means his lot. When something's new, it's not really mine yet. It's exciting. Right? You get something, you get a new article of clothing, a new car, a new uh, food you found in the store. Ah, it's exciting. Yeah, we're trying something new. A few months later, right, this is not new anymore. That's when it's your chilek. When it becomes yours, when you become comfortable with something, it stops being exciting. The Mishnah says, Ezehu Asher, who's really wealthy, Hasameach Bechalko, people who can stay happy with a freshness, with the same way I was grateful to Hashem when I was able to buy it, I'm still grateful for Hashem when I have it five years later. Chalko, it already became my lot. I'm able to retain that, uh, that level of, of Akar Satov. Such a person is, uh, is an usher, but is wealthy. But be it as it may, so this is how we were, we were able to uh, be there for each other. And the, the goal, says Rav Tzadok, is that we have to allow each other to give, but when it comes to the spiritual side of things, we're able, we're, now we're allowed to say to somebody, you know what, I, I feel like I don't need that right now. I don't need it. I have, I, I have enough between me and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I, I do have enough and I'm able to live on, whatever's, on whatever else is given, but it shouldn't, you shouldn't push people away from the opportunity to give just because of my personal pride. Okay, we'll hold it there uh, for, for uh, Rav Tzadik for today. We're up to uh, Yud base. Let's get into the Parsha. Here we go. So Parsha's Emor begins in chapter 21, verse 1. Here we go. A lot of sacrifices and mitzvahs for Kohanim. And for some people, it's like the beginning of Vayikra is like so exciting. You have all the, you know, it starts out with the sacrifices. A lot of people have a tough time relating to, but then we have the establishment of the Mishkan and the laws of kosher and non-kosher and Mitzorah is always exciting. You talk about Lashon Hara and um, then we get to the, you know, the children of Aaron dying and the importance of, of uh, you know, being a member of Klal Yisrael, respecting our elders, making sure that we're connecting to Hashem in the most proper way, Kedoshim, all the laws of retaining how to be holy. And then this Parsha, for some people, they view it like this is the Parsha for Kohanim. Because if you begin the Barsha, it's, it's really the direct instruction for Kohanim. But let's learn a little deeper, and we'll see that obviously every word in Torah um, is accessible and applies to each and every Jew. Here we go. Yomar Hashem El Moshe. Hashem said to Moshe, Emar, say, El HaKohanim, to the Kohanim, B'nai Aharon, who are the sons of Aaron, V'amarta Aleim, and say to them, L'nefesh, to a soul, lo yitame ba'amav, he should not become impure amongst his people. This is basically the first instruction to Kahanim that they're not allowed to attend like we have nowadays. They don't attend funerals, go to cemeteries, so on and so forth. Okay, look at the word of the Pasuk. Three times. Vayomar Shema Moshe. Hashem says Moshe, Emar say to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron. What's question number one? Redundant. Okay. Are there any... Sons of Aaron that are not Kohanim? No. Right? And are there any, ko- or maybe not, or well, maybe there's an exception here, but we're going to assume it's redundant. And, or are there Kohanim who aren't the sons of Aaron? Now we do find a unique case in the Torah of Pinchas, okay? Where you have Pinchas who was a grandson of Aaron. He himself wasn't a Kohen because he was born prior to Aaron being a Kohen, before Hashem established Aaron as a Kohen, he already had children and grandchildren. 
So when Hashem appointed him as a Kohen, all of the children and grandchildren who were alive did not take on his status. It was only for future children. So Pinchas, who was already born, Pinchas was the son of a Lazar, who was the son of Aaron. So Pinchas was the grandson of Aaron, but he didn't attain, attain his priesthood until his action with Cosby and Zimri, uh, when he stood up with a spear, and then he attained it for himself. But for the most part, and even including Pinchas, he's also sons of Aaron, even if he got it on his own. So the Pusik seems to be redundant. So Rashi has a few interesting takes. This bothers Rashi right away. He's, Rashi's jumping at this. You know, what do you mean, Kohanim, the sons of Aaron? So he explains you can actually have somebody who comes from the family of, Ko, of a Kohen. That's not a Kohen. You can have a Ben Aaron. That's not a Kohen. For example, if a Kohen got involved in a forbidden relationship. Okay? If a Kohen, like a Kohen Gogol, was not allowed to marry uh, anyone who's, who's uh, ever been widowed. Let's say a Kohen Gogol did. A regular Kohen can. The Kohen Gogol was not allowed to. Let's say Kohen Gogol married the widow. So that child is not going to be a Kohen. That child is going to be called a Cholo. A Cholo means like a regular Jew. Not a Mamzer, there's no... But he doesn't have the status of a Kohen. So Rashi says, you know why it says, Kohanim b'nei Aaron, to teach us it's only the, the sons of Aaron that retained the holiness, as opposed to a child that came out of a forbidden marriage. Okay, that's his take. Let's keep going. And we're going to get back to this because we're going to see another beautiful idea here. The Amarta Aleim, say, notice this, there's another should jump at us. Say to the, to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron, say to them, what? Don't become impure to somebody else. So again, say, say to the sons of iron, say to, say to them, like, okay, enough with this, I, I got it, right? You, you, the, the, the word emor is said multiple times. So first, let's focus on the word omar. Says Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Moshe Feinstein says that we have to note the difference in grammar between vayomer, the word say and vayedaber, which is to speak. They're two different words. When you speak to somebody, there's more firmness. When you speak, you speak to a person, okay, at a person. You're a little harsher. When you say something, there's more, it's more soothing, okay? It's, it's easier. It's much, to say is an easier tone. And therefore, says of Moshe Feinstein, say to the Kohanim that they should say to everyone else why? because listen to this nuance this is amazing certain things in Torah need to be given, given over in a very delicate way we know this in how we speak to other people right? there's a medrash that gives a parable the sun and the wind got into a dispute over who's stronger like two kids. Two kids fighting, right? Whose dad is stronger, right? One kid says, my dad's so strong, yeah, he beat up your dad, right? He said, yeah, my dad's so strong, he killed the dead sea. Yeah, okay. So, fine. He killed the dead sea. Everybody, everybody's dad is stronger. Okay. So, so, uh, so, the, 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 the sun and the wind were arguing. Okay, who's stronger? So they, they, uh, they can't come to an agreement. You know, my, I'm strong, you're strong. Fine. It says the Medrash. They see a man walking down the street. And they decide to make a competition. Who's stronger? Whoever could get the jacket off that guy's back. Okay? 
So the sun says to the wind, you go first. And the wind goes, he's hollering, he's blowing, you know, the guy's flipping circles like he's in a tornado. In the meantime, the stronger the winds, the closer he's wrapping his jacket. The wind can't get the jacket off the guy. So he gives up. The guy's banged up and bruised, but that jacket didn't come off. Okay, he gives up. Finally, the sun goes, and the brighter the sun shone, the faster the guy took his jacket off. Says the Medrash, this is how we have to realize to deal with people. When you're trying to train a person, guide a person, to follow in a path that we want, because we know it's correct, not brainwashing, but a way that we want and is correct. So when you shine on them, and when we're bright, and we give them heat, we give them warmth, that's when it's listened to. Says Rabbi Feinstein, particularly by this mitzvah of Kohanim, it's so important to make sure there's zero elements of harshness. You know why? Listen, listen to this idea. There's a very important yisot, very important foundation. Let's build this up. The Mishnah in Avos tells us, Yehuda ben Tema, Omer Yehuda, the sage Yehuda ben Tema says, Have a oz kanomer, you should be bold like a leopard in your Judaism. Don't be scared of nobody. Oz kanomer. The kal kanesher, be light like an eagle. Ratz katzvi, swift like a deer. Begibar kari, strong like a lion. Okay, what do you mean to be, to be, kal uh, kanesher, easy like an eagle. Right? It doesn't be easy like an eagle. So the commentators explain on the Mishnah, that we have to educate ourselves enough in our Yiddishkeit that it becomes beautiful. The same way an eagle works hard to get where it is, but when you watch it, it's just gliding. It's majestic. So too, in our Judaism, we should be kalkanesher. It can't be shoved down throats. Particularly, okay, that's, that's the build-up to this. This is particularly true when it's nuanced. When sometimes we expect people to understand things and it's really not fair that we expect them to understand these things. To talk about the difference between a Jew and a non-Jew, we understand. There's a nation that accepted the Torah and the other nations decided not to accept the Torah. So we have an opportunity and we have a responsibility. There's a difference. The difference between one Jew and another Jew, is that easy to understand? It's very difficult. For us, even as adults, that's hard to grasp. How do, like, how do we handle each other? How do, what, what do we do? Like, what, what? And with children, it's even harder. And in our minds, we're thinking, yeah, you know why? Because we think of there's various, every type of Jew, right? Take that away. Within obser- Torah observant people, do you know what the life of a non-Kohen kid looks like? He's going to the same school as everybody else. He's doing the same thing as everybody else. Shabbos afternoon, they're all going to play soccer. They're all doing their thing. And his father calls him over and he says, listen, hey, Bajik, hey, kid, come here. I want to tell you something. You can't play soccer with, with all these other Jewish kids. He says, really? I want to play soccer. I love soccer. Why don't I want to play soccer? Because the soccer field is alongside a tree that's hanging from a cemetery. And therefore, you can't go there. You can't go there. The kid's like, what? It's not fair. It's not fair. And he's right. It's not fair. Life's not fair. But do you, do you say, life's not fair, kid. Tough. You're a coin. Yeah, and if you're a machutzif again, you go to your room. If you're a machutzif again, you go to your right? room. Do you daber? Do you speak to them? It says the Torah. No, no, no. When it comes to Kohanim, they're, ju- they were, they're, mem- they're members of Kali Yisrael. But they, 
need to be spoken to in a soft way to be taught. You know why you're different? Because you're B'nai Aaron. Responsibility and opportunity go hand in hand. So you are, you have more opportunity as a Kohen, and therefore there's more responsibility, which obligates you not to become impure. And for the parents and adults to say this over, says Ramesha Feinstein, that's why this Pasuk is full of emar, the full of saying, not speaking, and, and over and twice. Because we gotta make sure that there's when when it comes to chinuch for ourselves and for others. In areas that are nuanced that need to be given over in the proper way, it's spoken and it's not it's not shoved. It's not like uh, you know given over as as a obligation. Rather, it needs to be taught to be a privileged and an opportunity. Okay, now the Chassam Soifer says a beautiful thing. He has a whole different take on this pasuk where he moves the comma. He moves the comma where most of us would read it. We most of us read the pasuk. Say to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, to a soul, you should not become impure. That's how we, Chassam Sofer says, it's a different way to read the puzzle. Here's how he reads it. Emara la Kohanim, say to the Kohanim, and this fits perfectly with what Ramesh Feinstein just said. You know what you're saying to them? B'nai Aaron, you are the sons of Aaron. And therefore, once you elevate them by telling them what they're made of, once you you have to start out by saying, let me tell you something. First, this is how great you are. I remember Rabbi Arlovsky is coming to show in a couple weeks. I remember a week from Shabbos and Mishnah. I used to go listen to him when I was learning in Arizona. I was learning in the Mir Yeshiva. So he would speak in the Yeshiva um, on my way home. I lived in Malot Tafna, and I would walk home from the mirror, and he actually spoke in the yeshiva on Monday nights at the same time I was walking home. So I used to pop in for a half hour and listen to his class on Masil Sishar. And uh, one, uh, one of the things that, that uh, sticks out at me from what he said, he said, you know, the altar of Slabodka, a lot of the mainstream yeshivas, not all, but a lot of the mainstream yeshivas come from the altar of Slabodka, or Muslim Sri Finkel, not the one that we know of who passed away recently, um, but his, his uh, great... Grandfathers, the altar, also not Sifiku. Okay. So Rabbi Arlovsky said, nowadays we're half as good as the altar of Slabodka. The altar of Slabodka was a genius at taking his Talmidim, taking his students, breaking them apart, and then building them back up into the most beautiful person they could be. He says, nowadays we're half as good. We just break people out, <laughs> we just break them down. That was his quip. Right? That was his clip. A lot of people are experts. We're experts at like, you know, we find this problem, we find that problem. We find this, we find this. What are you doing about it? Are you, are you building it back up? Right? We spoke out in Parshas Yisro. One of my favorite divrei of all time is amazing in Parshas Yisro. So, um, one of the reasons why Yisro, we go through, Rashi goes through the seven names of Yisro. One of his names was Yeser. Yeser. Extra. Why? Because there's an extra Parsha in the Torah named after Yisro. What Parsha? What would you say? Parshas? Yisra. It's not what Rashi says. It's not what Rashi says. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, and therefore there's a Parsha named after him, and Rashi begins, actually, he quotes a Pasuk 20 verses into Parshas Yisra. 
He says, therefore there was a parsha named after him called the Atta Techezeh. And now, here's what you should do. You should get judges and appoint them. That's, that's where Rashi tells us we start naming Yisrael. And the obvious question is, you, you missed the first 20 verses. Right? Rashi, you know your beans. <laughs> right? What's up with that? And the idea is precious. The first 20 verses of Parshas Yisrael is Yisrael showing up to call Yisrael, looking around and saying, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Moshe, what are you doing? What are you doing? You, you, a leader can't rule a people like that. You're going to fall apart. The nation's going to fall apart. And he walks into Klal Yisrael and he starts finding the problems. That part's not named after him. You know what, Yisrael? Any fool could do that. We don't know who you are yet. But then Yisrael shows us who he really is. And he says, therefore, Maisha, my beloved son-in-law, no, I'm not here to find the issues in your shul, in your community, in your problem. But now I'm going to tell you what to do. Here's, the, here's, what's going to, here's what's constructive that's coming out of this. Now I'm going to tell you, appoint judges over 10, over 50, over 100. Make a beautiful system. Says Rashi, that's a parasha we name after somebody. When somebody shows up and they show us they're here to build, they're here to be constructive, here to make things better, that takes a chacham. That takes, that, that takes a wise... Any fool could find the problems. But it takes a chacham to really be able to... Um, to Build things back up. It's a very important part. It's a very important idea and a beautiful message that, um, that Rashi is giving over. So getting back to the idea of the Chassam Sofer. The Chassam Sofer says like this. There's a Pasuk from Shlomo HaMelech. We learned this in Dafyomi yesterday. It's amazing how often Dafyomi overlaps with the, with the weekly Parsha. It's mind-blowing. And they say it's a good sign when you're learning in various places. Even for anybody, but not, not Dafyomi. If you're ever come across an idea that during the week that connects to the parsha, it's a kiss from Hashem. Hashem is letting you know, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to find, these, uh, to find these connections and relationships. So Shlomo Malach says a fascinating statement. How do you know when to rebuke somebody? So he says like this, do not rebuke a scorner. A scorner, somebody's not interested. Yeah? Because perhaps they'll come to hate you. If nothing constructive is going to come out of the rebuke, don't say anything. Do not rebuke a scorner. If you rebuke a wise person, they'll come to love you. That's the lesson of Shlomo HaMalach. You have to know when to talk and when not to talk. And when, if I say something, it's just going to cause more damage than good. Don't say anything. There's a mitzvah to not say anything. It's a mitzvah. Because we want to say something. It's so hard not to say something, but we control ourselves. Okay. Says the Chassam Sofer, beautiful. Ready like this? Connects it to our Pasuk. The, the Pasuk from Shlomo HaMalach to our Pasuk. He says like this, Al Tochach, don't rebuke your alets. Some people rebuke others by saying, What's your problem? What's your problem? Were you a lowlife? Were you a scorner? If you rebuke somebody like that, I'll, if you rebuke somebody as a let's, they'll hate you. You know what they're going to tell you? Go jump in the lake. See ya. Bye. Who are you? But if you rebuke somebody by saying you're a chacham, it's beneath you to do such a thing like that. You're such, an, you're such a good person. I know you want to do better. And here's something I'm noticing. And I, I, you know, I'm just letting you know this. They'll come to love you because they know that really you, you respect them. So if you rebuke, says the Chassam Seifer on that Pasuk, if you rebuke them as treating them like a scorner, you're not going to get anywhere. If you rebuke somebody treating them like a Chacham, you'll get very far. 
That, and this gets back to his explanation of our Pesach as well, and why he moves the Kama. Hashem tells Moshe, Emor kahanim, say to the Kahanim, what's the first thing? You know, you say to them, B'nai Aaron. You have to first start out by telling them that they're Chachamim, they're Chashiv. Because a coin is in an elevated state, therefore he's going to have these, um, these uh, further opportunities in, uh, in his spirituality. Okay, let's keep going. The, the Parsha goes through, any questions? Good, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the kid who is you know, not allowed to play soccer. Yeah. So how is he going to, you know, it's still going to, I think, as a kid, he, it's still rubbing the wrong way. He might... For the moment. So feel resentful or... Yeah. I, uh, and also, like, just the part of his peers, you know, being separated out and not being... Right, right. Uh, uh, this, this idea is not, um, is not a way to circumvent how, like the example we gave about the feelings doesn't mean the kid's not going to want to play soccer anymore. But over the course of time, right, we as children, even with uh, adults that we've very well respected and told us things we can't do and we didn't like it at the time, but when we know it's coming from uh, both a place where they're treating us like a chacham and we... um, You know, and down the road, we continue to be guided in a path that's consistent with that. So the short-term loss is like telling a kid, you can't have another candy, I'm sorry. Right? The kid feels bad, crying, screaming. Right? It's Shabbos afternoon. Uh, my, uh, poor Isaac, uh, four years old. You, you, know, you already had 25 jelly beans and you're only four, right? You're only four. So he has all his chashbainas, why he needs another 50 jelly beans. The answer is no. So he'll go kicking and screaming for two minutes. But uh, the answer... Maybe this is bigger than jelly beans. Yeah, okay. But over the course of time, you know, as long as you give them... You know, sometimes the answer is, I'm not giving a... You know, I'm not this expert mechanic. Sometimes the answer is making sure you make it up in other ways. Right? Even within, within the Torah community, there's things that my own children's friends do and places they go. I just don't let them go. But I don't just not let them go. I feel a responsibility to give them other experiences to compensate. So they don't just say, well, my father never let me go. Anyway, okay. So, you know, it's, you know, similar to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sometimes takes things away because he's got something better in store for us. Yeah? And, and down the road, we show that. You know, we show, yeah? So what happens when this, this child grows up and they still don't listen? That's it. You're done with your responsibility. You have their own Bechira. People are going to live. People... It's a free world. It's a free world. I heard uh, Rabbi Shimon Russell, who's a renowned uh, therapist, um, I heard him speak and say something. I, we, we may have quoted this. He says, um, he said, he said this once and people like ready to throw him out of the Bismedrish. He said, he said, uh, Torah is optional. Torah mitzvah is optional. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> optional? What are you going to? He says, yeah, what does option mean? You have options. You don't have to. Nobody's nobody. <laughs> forcing you. Right? Optional means you have options. You can choose. It says in the Torah, I, I, I put good and not good in front of you. Choose good. Choose life. That's it. It's a choice. Options means I have to... Nobody... And, and this is the saddest thing is when Chas V'Shalom, 
something is shoved down our throats and then we end up going through our Judaism like trained circus lions who jump through fire hoops. We just do it. It's not, it's not, right? It's not, is, is that what Hashem wants? Hashem just wants us to be trained uh, circus lions? It's not what He wants. That's, that's very sad. It's very sad. So when people get older, we actually would hope, we could take a little step further than what uh, Rebbe Lind over here is saying. You know, what happens if they get older and they don't do it? Let me ask you a question. What happens if they get older and they do it, but they're only doing it because you told them when they were a kid that, that they should do it? That's also sad. That's also sad. When it's just about the rituals of what so I know to do now. So I do this now, and then I put on a hat now, and then I do this now. That's it. Right? We want them to have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch that's, that's life. Life is a hiskashus. It's a, it's a connection. So we hope, whether, even if they choose to continue or not choose, we hope that they burst forth on, you know, uh, uh, by themselves as well. The mission of us, just to continue on this theme, the mission of us tells us that each adult should be the hamedu tamidim harbe. We should stand up many students. Very interesting expression. Stand up many students means every one of us is a teacher. Because we're part of society and everywhere we go, people are looking at us, particularly uh, Torah-following people. We're always, we're always being looked at. Uh, we shared in Prikayav, it's a beautiful idea from the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim uh, told his son once that he has to dress a certain way. I think like his son's clothes were dirty. And he told him he has to go change. He has to go change. You come, you know, you come from the... Uh, the Kagan household, right? Rabbi Shlomo Mary Kagan was the Chavaz Chaim. You come to the Kagan household, you can't go outside with dirty clothes. Whatever, he's a young yeshiva guy, you know, a high school kid, whatever. So he told me you have to go. So he says, nobody respects me anyway. Right? I'm a kid. No one's going to So Chavaz Chaim told him an amazing thing. He says, let me tell you something. He says, my dear son, if you were to walk over to somebody and give them rebuke, as a 14 year old, you know what they're going to tell you? Who are you? You little punk. Go ahead. But the moment you do something wrong, they're going to say, hey, who's this yeshiva guy to do something like that? Oh, when you do something wrong, all of a sudden they're like, oh, you're, you're like this big garladar. He says, that's how, that, that's, peop, that's how people work. He says, even if you don't feel they respect you for your opinion or whatever it is, when you do something wrong, all of a sudden you represent like all of Torah. You, what does yeshiva kid do in the space Yaakov do? do right? All of a sudden, what is it? A minute ago, you didn't care about them. All of a sudden, you're getting a little uh, antsy. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, they, all of a sudden, they represent Klai Israel. Like, what? That's just how it is. And therefore, it says the Chavaz Chaim, all of us, you know, need to, be, uh, need to be careful with that. Okay. Incredible. Let us keep going. All right. We've got six more minutes. Let's keep going in, in, uh, in the Parsha. Who is a Kohen allowed to become impure to? So he has the seven relatives. A Kohen is allowed to attend the funeral of the seven relatives. Um, two times three for each generation. So mother, father, generation above, brother, sister, alongside, son, daughter, generation below. A Kohen is allowed to uh, become impure to them and also to his wife. Okay, so there's seven relatives, the wife and then the blood relatives. Mother, father, brother, sister, son, daughter. Okay, there's exceptions to this. A sister depends if she's, uh, if she's been married, if she hasn't been married. And then the Parsha tells us that a Kohen also has to make sure in the way of mourning that he's, they're very careful 
in how they mourn. They don't do things that show um, grief that are above or even alongside of what's normal. The same way other people grieve, a Kohen himself is not allowed to grieve in that way because of his because of his position. So he's not allowed to make bald spots on their head, which Rashi says people would do to show their their uh, level of, of grief. You know why, says the Parsha? For all these things. You can't become impure. Who, um, uh, who you're allowed to marry, who you're not allowed to marry. Uh, the things that you do as you grieve. You know why you can't do this, these things? Because Kedoshim you... You know why? Hashem says, listen. Because you are Kadosh. And when you're not Kadosh, you're going to cause an automatic Chal Hashem. It's one or the other. Which gets back to what the Chavaz Chaim was telling his kid. It's one or the other. There's no such thing like, it doesn't matter. If we're not making a Kiddush Hashem, this, by definition, turns into... Uh, turns into a chil Hashem. I don't have it written down over here, but there's a there's a story about the Beis Yisrael, the Ger Rebbe. Beis Yisrael used to wake up very very early in the morning and walk to his Beis Medrash to learn. He'd wake up, you know, would however you know what at four thirty five a.m. and he would he was already out. Walking with his uh, attendants, with his shamish, and whenever there was a crosswalk sign, it's four in the morning. The crosswalk sign is red. He wouldn't cross. He'd only cross by the walk sign. Okay, so one morning, he's on his way, and there's construction going on on the street, and the streets are completely empty. And again, the basis role of Ger, the Ger Rebbe, he comes up and he's standing there, you know, and it's like a long, you know, he's got to wait two minutes. You know, another joke, uh, you know, there's somebody who sees um, Yeshiva guy, there's lights red, and he's just jaywalks across. So the guy says, you've been waiting 2,000 years for Mashiach, you can't wait a minute for the light, you know, like, <laughs> hey, come on. So, so he, he, he's waiting by the light. He's waiting by the light. So one of the, one of the, uh, street workers, right? One of the people repairing the street says, "says uh, Rabbi, there's no cars. Just go. What are you wasting your time for?" So he smiles and he, you know, he just he waited. It says, he, uh, he he crosses when it says cross, you know, and he waited for the cross and then he started crossing. And as he's crossing, he, uh, he he crosses over. He starts walking away and he hears the same guy who told him to cross turn to the other workers and say, "That's how you know a rabbi's a rabbi." When he acts the same, whether people are looking, whether or not people are looking, it's not a matter of the cars or that. Is it the right thing to cross now? No. So he waited. So to him, the guy, let's say he would have listened to me. Like, hey, you're right, cross. There would have been a little bit, even though yeah, the rabbi listened to me. You know, there would have been a little bit like you, you lost out on that kiddush Hashem. That's a chil Hashem. So we have to be very, very careful, very, very careful with that kedushim you to be to to make sure that we retain. Our retain our holiness. There's one more idea I wanted to share before we start. Before we stop, I'm sorry, we're starting again. Um, here we go. Pasuk Yubes says that the Kohen Gadol should not leave the Mikdash. Okay, so let's let's bring a lot of this uh, full circle to how this all applies to our lives. As as we've said. Um, 
you know, with these with these psukim, as we've said, with these psukim, it's re- on the simple level referring to kahanim. But everything that talks to kahanim really is referring to us as well as yidden. So the Kohen's instructed not to leave the mikdash. What does it mean not to leave the mikdash? So the Bali Musr explained, the Musr leaders explain that a Jew can never leave, should never leave elements of what sanctify us, no matter where we are. And I heard over, trying to remember where I heard this. Remember where I heard this? May have heard this from Wiley Jacobson. May have heard in one of his classes. Um, he shared a beautiful idea. Think of the name of Rav Cook. That when you hear this idea, like you kick yourself, like, oh, why didn't I think about that? The Mishnah tells us that a person who's traveling on the road, Paragimel Mishnah Ches in others, think. A person who's traveling on the road, Umafsik Mi Mishnah, so, and he pauses his learning. And he looks at the tree and says, oh, look how beautiful that tree is. Oh, God's world is beautiful. The Mishra says, You're obligated on your nefesh. Okay? You're obligated on nefesh. Now, what does that mean? Obligated nefesh means not that you're going to be killed, right? It means you're cutting yourself off from your source. You're sitting there learning Torah, and now you're being busy with other things, cutting yourself off from your source. So the commentators all jump at this. All the Rishonim. What do you mean? You're viewing Hashem's world. That is what's called, that. So... They come on to various other ideas where it says, you see a beautiful tree, it's really referring to yourself. We find various places throughout the sages, they refer to a person as a tree, right? Elon, Elon, how can I bless you? A person's learning Torah says, oh, look at this tree. Now I'm such a hush of a person. Ah, I'm learning so much Torah. Says, take it easy, dude, right? Relax. Like, you're not all that. That's how, that's how some of them before some explain. But um, I believe you said from Rav Cook, another idea, and it like nails it. It's like, wow, like, why didn't we think of that? He says, just look at the words of the Mishnah. It says, a person who's traveling and stops his learning and says, look at that beautiful tree. It says, Rav Cook, the problem is you stopped your learning. You think that's not learning? Torah is on paper, but not over there? If you consider this to be not spiritual... Not godly, not Torah. You are completely missing what Judaism is about. We're not Jews in a base medrash, in a shul. And the moment we walk out, it's like, uh, okay, so that was that. And now I'm going to go do whatever I want. No. Says the Pasuk, the we don't leave holiness. So if I'm in a shul, if I'm in a base medrash, if I'm on the street, if I see a tree, if I see anything, anything I encounter, that is all mikdash. It's all holiness. Hashem and my, my relationship with Hashem never stops. It never ends. And if I consider this tree to be a break, so you're cutting yourself off from your source, which is what Misa is. That's what death is. A beautiful, beautiful idea. So again, what's Rokuk saying? The issue is not that you said it's a beautiful tree. The issue is that you considered that to be not Judaism. You were mafsik. And that's where it shows a, a lack in understanding of Yiddishkeit. Okay, we'll hold it here for the evening. If anyone has any points, any questions...